Chapter Two of the Story of a Modern Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Schneider. The Story of a Modern Woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. Chapter Two A Child the life of mary earle like that of many another woman in the end of the nineteenth century had been more or less in the nature of an experiment born too late for the simple days of the fifties when all it behoved a young girl to do was to mind her account book read her tennyson show a proper enthusiasm for fancy-work stitches and finally with many blushes accept the hand of the first young man who desired to pay taxes and to fulfil the duties of a loyal british subject and the young man it must be remembered in the middle of this century actually did both mary was yet too soon for the time when parents begin to take their responsibilities seriously and when the girl is sometimes as carefully prepared as thoroughly equipped as her brother for the fight of life a garden full of flowers a house full of books scraps of travel these things were her education out of the years she could pick scenes and figures which typified her bringing up there was the plain self-contained and not too clean baby a child who was always grubbing in a garden for it lived then in a house in st john's wood a child who was devoted to animals and insects who was on intimate terms with the many-legged wood-lice which curled themselves up with all haste into complete balls when she touched them a child for whom snails and black beetles had no terrors and who had much to say to the green hairy caterpillars who hung about the pear-tree there was a huge fluffy black cat too which represented perhaps the child's primitive idea of a deity for though she adored it the adoration was leavened with a wholesome awe a feeling which was not unconnected with certain unmerited chastisements in the shape of scratches on her fat bare legs more often to be sure the black cat was amiable and even allowed itself to be carried up to bed with its hind legs straying out helplessly from under the child's arm to be presently concealed with all haste and caution under the white sheets and blankets from whence its sharp-pointed ears and wide black cheeks arose with the most exquisitely mirth-provoking effect with what inscrutable amber eyes did the black cat gaze for hours into hers how it imposed on her babyish imagination with its self-contained majestic manners its air of detachment from the vain shows of the world the man with the kind smile whom the child called father used to laugh at her adoration tell her she was a little egyptian and called the cat pasht she thought it a funny name and not being altogether sure the black cat would approve of it generally addressed it as you and the cat would sit on long summer afternoons on the grass under the pear tree or on foggy autumn days on a stool by the fireside with paws neatly tucked away its neck rough fluffed out purring benignly in response to her confidences indeed in looking back the first tragedy of the girl's life was the death of the black cat it lay one sultry july day under a laurel bush in the garden with glazed eyes which gave no signs of life all morning and all afternoon the child sat there and fanned the flies away until her idol was stiff and then a hole was hastily dug 
and the black cat was thrust out of sight and never any more in the warm summer afternoons did a soft furry thing go sailing tail in air over the close-cropped lawn nor on winter evenings was a rhythmical purring to be heard hard by the tall fender which guarded the nursery fire it was the first great void the first heartache had come a strange indolent child whose little hands were usually thrust beneath her pinafore when any one spoke to her for surely she could not be always washing herself and to be on really intimate terms with insects and things one cannot like grown-up people be always thinking of one's nails she usually too concealed a small piece of putty about her person an unpardonable sin this in the eyes of mother and nurse for putty is useful in a thousand ways and is besides so thrillingly delicious to feel surreptitiously in the recesses of one's pocket at this time the child held the whole race of dolls in high scorn they were a foolish overdressed uninteresting tribe with manifestly absurd cheeks and eyelashes and with a simper which was as artificial as that of the ladies in chignons and flounces who came to call at the house of an afternoon she on her part was all for the violent delights of miniature guns and real gunpowder the toilsome construction of fleets of wooden boats with the aid of a blunt knife and a plank of wood fleets which were set a-sail with flying pennants on the cistern hard by the kitchen there were boy neighbors who aided and abetted her in these delights and great naval battles would come off between the dutch and english fleets in the kitchen cistern in which sometimes van tromp and sometimes blake emerged victorious the child perhaps did not take her patriotism seriously as the boys did she was content to be van tromp since they insisted on being blake and monk all that was of vital importance was that a fight of some sort should come off the mother sank early out of ken first they said she was poorly and had gone to italy and then they said that she was very ill and afterwards that she was in heaven so that for a long time the child used to think vaguely as she sat in a summer-house with pursed-up lips and knitted brows notching and slicing at her ships that italy and heaven were perhaps the same place nurse said that her mummy was an angel now but in all the picture-books angels had long smooth hair wore a kind of nightgown and had enormous folding wings the child could not picture her mother looking like that she always remembered her in many flounces with a headache and certainly no certainly mummy never had any wings out of her back the child could recollect that some little time before her mother went to italy they took her upstairs one day and showed her a baby with a red crinkled face lying in an over-trimmed cradle she did not care for babies she would rather have had a nice new fluffy kitten to replace the old black cat but when they told her it was a little brother of course that altered matters she was sorry her brother should be so small so fretful and so red in the face she would rather have had him in the same size as herself so that he could have been van tromp for once and she the victorious blake but still any sort of size brother was better than none although in a year or so the baby developed into something suspiciously like a doll with his fat pink cheeks his round china-blue eyes his dump of a nose and his entire absence of chin 
still he was far more entertaining than that simpering and foolish tribe baby jim's pink toes could kick his little fist with creases of fat at the wrist could hit out there were warlike possibilities in him in a word baby jim was alive at ten years old the girl began to have strange fits of vanity there were little shoes and frocks which she held in high favor and others which nothing would induce her to put on to wear a pinafore now was a bitter humiliation and about this period she had the most definite theories about the dressing of hair the discussion on coiffures usually took place in her bath when a small slippery person covered in soapsuds was to be heard arguing with her nurse an argument which was not usually enforced by physical violence on the superior attractions of crimped to curled locks at ten years old she was of opinion a person was grown up or at least as old as any one need be why big tall men with long beards and spectacles who came to see her father would bend down and ask her gravely if she would be their little wife the child had been to more than one wedding and she was aware that a wife was a person who began by wearing a beautiful white satin train with white flowers and a veil a person who was as imposing as that angel which nurse said her mother had become although she had not of course any wings the child was not sure whether she would best like to be a bride or an angel the latter it was true had the additional attraction of a golden halo but she thought probably that matters might be compromised and that she could be a wife and have a halo too the scene shifts now for they had moved to another quarter of london and the change made a vast difference in the child's tastes and habits there was no cropped lawn now where the pear tree made long shadows on summer afternoons where she had a personal interest in a plot of ground of her own and at least a bowing acquaintance with the whole host of fuzzy bumblebees gay yellow butterflies furry caterpillars and lazy snails there was no summer house in which shipbuilding could be carried on and no convenient cistern in which to sail one's fleet the firing off of toy guns was erased from the list of possible amusements the house was a tall one in a street in town and rural delights were represented by a square yard at the back which was haunted by stray attenuated cats and in which grew a solitary stunted sycamore but on the other hand there was the new fascination of bookshelves which ran all over the new house so that the child had but to mount a chair and reach out a small hand and lo romance and battles laughter and tears were all to be enjoyed at her will she had only to pick out her volume it was a revelation on the possibilities of life looking back now it must be owned that she led an odd life the man with a kind smile was fond of his little daughter but he was always at work either at experiments in his laboratory or bending over his desk in the study nothing happened in the way of experience as it does to other children one night her father took her to the theatre for the first time a famous actress an old friend was giving antony and cleopatra and they went first behind the scenes they walked across a bare lofty cavern-like place with dusty wooden boards which sloped upwards and the child was lifted up to peep through a little hole in a red velvet curtain and through it she saw a large horseshoe with quantities of people chattering as they waited 
there was a great deal of tawdry gilt and many gas chandeliers and the people especially at the top of the horseshoe stamped with their feet and whistled she did not care much for the play when they presently took their places in a box close to the stage there was a stout lady in long amber draperies who kept throwing her arms round a tired-looking man with a brown face and a suit of gilt armor the child was more amused when between the acts they went behind the scenes again to see the famous actress in her dressing-room unfortunately the stout lady looked fatter than ever when seen close but there were so many amusing things about a wig with long plates several serpent bracelets a diadem and a beautiful golden girdle set with emeralds as big as pheasant's eggs there was a middle-aged gentleman too who sat at his ease in a shabby armchair and drank some pinkish sparkling wine out of a low round glass someone said that he was the editor of a great paper the child had never seen an editor she was glad to see one because she had always thought they were quite different from other people she liked to see him laugh and whisper in a familiar condescending way to the stout lady and yet keep on drinking the pink wine out of the round glass the child was incorrigibly idle a mild nondescript unimaginative governess and a fat bald frenchman who came once a week to instruct her in the gallic tongue did nothing to take away the inherent unattractiveness of lessons she could read and that was enough the child read all day long she lay concealed among the footstools under the long dining-room table poring over the ancient mariner her favorite poem or thrilled with the lurid emotion of wuthering heights a little later villette became her cherished book a well-thumbed copy long ago bereft of its cover stands on the girl's shelf to-day poor drab patient self-contained miss snow how the child's heart ached for you in your bare dismal belgian schoolroom when dr john grew fickle how she rejoiced when you found your ugly bespectacled fate how choky she felt at the throat when she read those last pessimistic despairing words words full of the sound and fury of angry seas and moaning winds why poor patient hypochondriacal soul were you destined never to be happy and all these people were real to the child much more real than the people she saw when she went out to tea-parties in her best frock and sash they were as real as the little tin soldier and the little sea maiden of hans christian andersen types of humanity which will last as long as there are tender little human hearts to be touched and later on there is the rather plain girl of fourteen with somewhat inscrutable eyes and a seriousness which would have been portentous were it not laughable gone for the time being were her fits of high spirits and her wild gaiety lost the love of battle and even the love of books about battles the girl had much to occupy her mind she began to understand something of life now it was no longer a kind of colored picture book made to catch the eye and amuse an idle half-hour the pictures meant a great deal more than that there were dreadful things sad things horrible things behind things that the girl could only guess at but which were there she was sure all the same the world she could see from her books and newspapers was full of injustice there was a great wrong which had been done some eighteen hundred years ago when the most beautiful life that was ever lived had come to a shameful end the girl was always reading that moving story 
the old testament with its revengeful jewish deity did not appeal to her at all the poignant tragedy enacted at jerusalem ate into her heart and this child of fourteen felt herself burdened with the reproach which that senseless crime has left on humanity for well-nigh two thousand years yes those were serious days once in her teens she had to make up her mind on many subjects there were the questions of marriage of maternity of education the girl had learned french by now and the chance fingering of a small last-century volume made her approach those supremely feminine subjects under the somewhat insecure guidance of jean-jacques rousseau she imbibed indeed the swiss philosopher's diatribes on virtue before she had comprehended what civilized mankind stigmatizes as vice emile ou de l'education was warily conscientiously toiled through for the sake of posterity le contrat social was a work which it behoved a person of fourteen a person who wished to understand the scheme of civilization to know strange anxious days passed in the twilight of ignorance groping among the vain shadows with which man in his wisdom has elected to surround the future mothers of the race it was not of course till years afterwards that mary became conscious of the fine irony of the fact that man the superior intelligence should take his future companion shut her within four walls fill that dimly lighted interior with images of facts and emotions which do not exist and then pushing her suddenly into the blinding glare of real life should be amazed when he finds that his exquisite care of her ethical sense has stultified her brain the girl was reading david copperfield when she descended one day with knitted brows to the room where her governess was laboriously copying in watercolors a lithographed bunch of roses what is a lost woman really miss brown demanded the girl with her tense look dickens says that little emily is a lost woman because she goes to italy with mr steerforth was mr steerforth a lost man too End of chapter two